whatever comes my way. Joshua has been leading uh, the people. Most of the things that we've seen um, in regards to the difficulties that he's faced or the issues were usually battles, it seems. Uh, there was the wall at Jericho, uh, the crossing of the Red Sea, or the, the crossing of the River Jordan. Uh, there were the Amorites and, and those that were around them um, that were threatening them in the very beginning as they came out of Egypt to go to the Promised Land. And now, if you may remember last week, um, Joshua had led the Israelites across the, across the Jordan. I'm trying to get him across the Red Sea really hard, okay? He led him across uh, the River Jordan at the flood stage because God parted the waters for them, dried up the river. Um, then they go and they march around the walls of Jericho, those impenetrable walls by human standards. Um, they were obedient to what God had told them to do in the plan of attack, and it happened. It worked exactly as God said it would, and they became victorious. But now I think it is fitting for us to look at a moment in Joshua's life that could be considered a low point. Um, this is a moment that he has had previously victory after victory after victory. And what we study now in Joshua chapter 7 is something valuable for us because we know individually that all of our lives are not one victory after another victory after another victory. We know in life that we face defeat sometimes. Uh, we know that we face disappointment um, Sometimes we're, we're, we're faced with the disappointment, not even in ourselves, but in other people. And Joshua comes to grips with something. He, leading this army victoriously, one mission, one victory, one accomplishment after another. It seems as though everything is going great. And they come up to this little town called Ai. It's spelled A-I, little name, little town. And Joshua decides that he is going to send out some men uh, to survey that, that town, to get a pretty good idea of what's going on there. The men come back, they report, and Joshua decides to send a small army, a smaller army than he would anywhere else, uh, to go and to defeat the people at Ai. And this again comes right after the battle of Jericho, so they've already experienced this great defeat. And what happens is Joshua sends this smaller sized army out to fight the men at Ai in order to conquer and continue to inhabit the land that God had given them. So they're in there, they're fighting, and what Joshua finds out is that he's faced with something he hasn't ever faced before, and that is absolute defeat. The army in the town at Ai had raised up against the Israelites and had literally struck down 36 of the Israelite men, which we believe that they were killed in battle. So 36 men of God's people lay dead on the battlefield in Ai. And, God, and God's people are running now from the, 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 the battle. They're leaving the battlefield. They're fearful. And they're, they've seen that they've lost 36 of their brothers by the sword. And now they're running to get away. And they report back to Joshua. And Joshua is faced at the first time really in his life, it appears, as a military defeat. And no doubt we're going to look at what Joshua did. How did he handle himself in regards to the, the knowledge of this defeat? What does he do? And I hope this morning that as we look at Joshua's example on how he responded to the news of this defeat, that we may also take these principles uh, that Joshua lived by, that Joshua demonstrated, and that we may also apply these to our lives, that not if, but when we experience defeat, or disappointment in life, that we may also use these principles in our real life situations to see the name of God be magnified and glorified. 
I hope throughout this that it helps us this morning. My, my heart is that through this this morning, we may have a new definition for what it means to be successful. I hope this morning that we're able to look at life situations after we hear this message this morning. I pray that we're able to walk out of the door and be able to view difficulty, defeat, life situations differently by applying God's word to it. I want you to see in chapter 7 of the book of Joshua, um, it says, uh, verse 3, they returned to Joshua and said to him, do not let all the people go up, but let about two or three thousand men go up and attack I. And do not weary all the people there, for the people of I are few. So about 3,000 men went up there from the people, but they fled before the men of I. And the men of I struck down about 36 men, for they chased them before the gate as far as Cherubim and struck them down on the descent. Therefore the hearts of the people melted and became like water. Then Joshua tore his clothes and fell to the earth on his face before the ark of the Lord until the evening. He and all the elders of Israel, and they put dust on their heads. And Joshua said, Alas, Lord God, why have you brought this people over the Jordan at all? To deliver us into the hands of the Amorites? To destroy us? Oh, that we had been content and dwelt on the other side of the Jordan. By the way, have you guys heard any of that before? In our series. Oh Lord, what shall I say when Israel turns its backs before its enemies? For the Canaanites and all the inhabitants of the land will hear it and surround us and cut off your name from the earth. Then what will you do for your great name? Let me repeat that. Then what will you do for your great name? Verse 10, so the Lord said to Joshua, get up. Why do you lie like this on the ground on your face? Israel has sinned, and they have also transgressed my covenant which I commanded them, for they have taken some of the accursed things, and have both stolen and deceived, and they have also put it among their own stuff. Therefore the children of Israel could not stand before their enemies, but turned their backs before their enemies, because they have become doomed to destruction. Neither will I be with you any more. Praise God for unless unless you destroy the accursed from among you. Let me stop. Bad news. Joshua finds out that the reason they lost in the battle is because someone um, in the camp of the Israelites had taken... And let me just give you just a brief background. Uh, what he's speaking of in regards to the accursed thing is one of the commandments that God had given the Israelites when they were about to go into Jericho. Remember, Jericho was one of the first towns that they were going to defeat in their, in their conquering of the promised land. So when they go into there, God says, there are going to be a lot of good things in there. There are going to be a lot of goods. There are going to be a lot of garments. There's going to be gold and silver. And God made sure that they knew that they were to take none of the goodly things, but that all of the things that were gold or silver would be brought into uh, the treasury. They were not to be the individual peoples. They were to be brought into the treasury, but they were also taught not to steal it. Don't take it away. Don't take their goods. We're not going to loot these people. So what God is saying is that somebody has not listened 
to what I said. Someone has broke my commandment. Someone has done something that they should not have done. They stole from the Babylonians in Jericho. So God is now telling Joshua, you're on your face. You're, you're, you're not knowing why this is happening. And God says, I'm going to tell you. This is what has happened. Now, before we get into the big issue, really the sin issue, I want us to be able to focus for a moment on how Joshua handled the situation. He sees the men come back, they report to him, and they tell him that 36 men have died, the armies are running back, it was an utter defeat, Joshua. And notice the first thing that Joshua did in his response. He was upset, tore his clothes. In the Bible, when someone tears their clothes, it is to be a picture of such, a, such grief or such anger. It is to be an emotional response that is absolutely sick. I mean, they are to, to look at this in utter disgust or extreme anger, and, and, and they rip their clothes to show or to demonstrate just how angry or upset they are. Now, what's amazing about this is oftentimes when we get when we experience disappointment or or defeat in life something we we thought was going to happen didn't happen we may also get very angry we may be we may get very upset and we may even get very grieved over that but i want you to remember that through this entire through this entire issue with Joshua here in chapter 7 he makes sure we know where his, where his concern really lies. He's not, there's no demonstration in here anywhere. There's no indication in the Word of God that Joshua is saying, hey, wait a second, God, this makes me look like a bad leader. There's nowhere in here where Joshua is saying, hey, wait a second, God, uh, we've had all these victories. Uh, the fame of, of what you have done in my life is going, and, and everything was good, God, and people were recognizing your hand on me, and now, God, they're not looking at me. Now, God, I look like a failure. And oftentimes in life, we do that natural tendency where we want to bring the attention, bring the anger, bring the, bring the feelings, and try to justify ourselves or make ourselves look good. And Joshua does not appear to be concerned with how he was viewed or what others thought of him. He was incredibly upset. He tore his clothes. Look at what else he did. It says he tore his clothes and fell to the earth on his face. He was humbled. I mean, we get the impression, especially in the original language, that it wasn't just going down on his knees. In the original language, it lends itself to the interpretation that when he hears it, he tears his clothes and in the sense loses the power in his legs that he is just falling and collapsing before the Lord. Notice, he is falling on his face before the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark of the Covenant represented God's promises, rep rep represented the promise of His provision, and it represented the promise of His presence. So when Joshua is falling down, he's not just thinking, oh, this is awful. He is falling down, prostrate, before the Lord. He is seeking God. He's saying, God, I, I don't understand how this works. I don't understand why this happened. I, I'm, I'm, I'm upset. I'm angry. I'm, I'm feeling these feelings, whatever they are. And he falls down before the Lord. He sought God. And that is always, always the first step in anything in our life. 
If we're happy and things are going good and God is blessing our life, what should the first step be? We should seek God. I mean, the moment that food is put on our plate and we sit down to eat, the very first thing we should say is, God, there's a majority of the people in the world that will never get to hold a plate like this. And God, I recognize that. Thank you for providing. And I'm going to seek you and praise you and thank you for your provision in my life. Whatever it is, whatever scenario, good or bad, God's people should always make the first step. Our first action, our first direction should always be humble before God. Seeking Him in praise, petition, making our requests known to Him, asking Him for understanding, for grace, for forgiveness, whatever it is. Seeking God is always the best first step in our life. Always. Joshua was upset. He was humble. He sought God not merely in posture alone, laying before the ark, but he sought God in prayer. He felt that God was big enough to handle his questions. I know some people have told me in the ministry, they'll come to me and they'll say, well, I'm really angry at God. And I tell them, do you talk to God about it? Well, no. Well, God's big enough to have a conversation. God's big enough. There's no reason to be have issues with God and not talk about it, not look it through His Word to find out why and, and to come to an, an understanding of why God does what He does. Joshua sought God and asked questions. Listen to what Joshua said. It, it doesn't sound pretty on the surface. He says, Alas, Lord God, why have you brought this people over the Jordan at all? That sounds like the previous generation. That sounds like the report of the ten spies that came back in the previous generation that said, yeah, the fruit looks good, the land looks good, but there are giants, fortified cities, and all of our enemies are there. And do you remember when those ten spies came back and gave that report? Do you remember the people wept wept and wailed and said we would much rather go back to Egypt? Let us choose another leader and turn around and go back to where we came. Joshua almost sounds like that generation. Lord, why have you brought us out here? I don't understand it. Let me remind you. Joshua knew two two sermons ago in this series. I shared with you what the secret to Joshua's success was. God said, Joshua, I want you to take the words of my mouth, the words of this book. I want you to meditate on them. I want you to be obedient to them. I want you to not turn from them to the left hand or to the right. And in doing so, your way will be prosperous. Joshua knew that prosperity, that victory, that success in life was dependent upon God. So he comes and seeks God. Why have you brought us over the Jordan at all? To deliver us into the hand of the Amorites? To destroy us? Oh, that we had been content and dwelt on the other side of the Jordan. Oh Lord, what shall I say when Israel turns its back before its enemies? For the Canaanites and all the inhabitants of the land will hear it and surround us and cut off our name from the earth. Notice then what? Will you do for your great name? 
Yeah, Joshua was worried about the people. Sure, Joshua was concerned about their enemies. He's a military mind. He's worried that this victory is going to show God's people to be vulnerable and then all the enemies are going to come around and totally wipe them off. But beyond that, just in how he sees God's people fitting into this is not the end. Joshua's not saying, God, this bad thing happened to us and I'm upset about that. What appears to be in that last sentence of Joshua's statement, he says, God, what will happen to your great name? Now think about that. God, if all, if all the enemies of us come and surround us and wipe us off the face of the earth, what is going to be said about your name? You know why this is so important? You know why I'm so thankful that Joshua says that? Because you know what? He's repeating some of the same words that Moses repeated in his life with those people. Do you remember when they were worshiping the golden calf? And God tells Moses, I'm going to wipe these people out and I'm going to start over with a brand new nation out of you. Do you remember what Moses said? Oh, but God, what about your great name? You promised these people. What are all of the enemies? What are all the rest of the world going to say when they see that you brought your people out and then you destroyed them? What about your great name? Joshua had something in his heart that Moses also had, and it was a concern on how God would be seen. He worried about the glory and the honor and the name of God. His concern over himself, his concern over the people in relationship to their enemies, I believe fell short. Of his ultimate concern was, God, how would you get glory out of this? And what I see where it looks like we're getting ready to experience an absolute defeat on every level. God, how are you going to get glory out of this? I know. I know. That we, many of you, in ways that I never have, have experienced difficulty in life. And many of you, in ways that I never have, have experienced defeat. And maybe in my life I've experienced things that you have not. And it's tempting for us to be able to say to God in our heart, maybe from our mouth, God, I didn't sign up for this. God, this hurts too bad. God, this experience is too much. God, I didn't sign up for this defeat. It's easy for us to adopt that type of an attitude and feel as though God has taken something from us or to feel as though God has robbed us of something or that God has not been true in our life. But let me remind you that the purpose that God has for our life, the simple purpose for which you were born, for which you were formed, for which you were gifted, for which you were saved, the purpose for which you and I exist is not for any other purpose than to give God the glory and honor from our life. That's why we're here. 
as believers. My sole purpose in life, the, the great aim of my life is that God has called me to reflect His glory and His honor through my salvation, through, through the gifts, through my service to Him, through my giving to Him. In all that I do, I may reflect the goodness and the greatness of God. And that is, manif- that is seen here in Joshua. I don't understand it, God. I don't know why this happened, but I'm seeking You. I'm upset about this. I'm humbled before You. And God, my overarching concern out of this whole thing is how are You going to get glory if in our lives, what if that was the very top of our list? Not what we receive necessarily from God. Not not the comfortable life or the good things that we may have received. Those things are fine to give God the glory for, but if we can praise Him in the sunlight, can we not also praise Him in the darkness? And Joshua demonstrates that. God, we lost. They tore our tails off, God. But how does this fit? How, God, are you going to get glory? Let me tell you. If we can approach the difficulties of life, if we can approach our defeats and ask God simply, show me, help me understand, God, how your name can be great through this. I pray it will give us much purpose, much strength, much endurance in the time of our great trials. He was upset, he was humbled. He sought God, but beyond all of that, it appears that he was concerned for how God would get the glory and the honor. Obviously, we see how Joshua responded, but the second thing and the final thing is what did God reveal about himself? Not just how did Joshua respond to the news, but what did God... God uses every moment in our life as a teachable moment. We may not listen or we may not learn, but I believe every moment in life is a teachable moment where God is wanting to uh, reveal Himself or teach us something in regards to Him, especially in regards to righteousness. So this is something important. And, and notice what happens. And I'll, I'll allow you uh, to read the remainder of the chapter, but let me give you a synopsis of what happens. When Joshua falls down and asks God, God tells him, here's what happened. Someone stole of the Babylonian goods. Told them not to, made a commandment not to do it, and they did it anyway. Somebody transgressed. Long story short, uh, through some divine appointments, God makes sure that that person that stole was revealed. The man's name was Achan. What had happened was, in his own testimony in chapter 7, after they realized that Achan was the one that stole, they interrogate Achan, and Achan says, here's what I did. I saw the goods. When we were in Jericho, I saw the goods, I picked them up, I brought them back, I brought them to my tent. Remember, they're, they're traveling. I brought them to my tent, I dug a hole, and buried it under my tent. Guys, can I tell you something? Nobody knew There's no record of anybody knowing what Achan did except God. And yet God brought Achan to the place where his sin had been uncovered. Literally uncovered. You want to know where we get the term uncovered? Right there. That's dug up, guys. What does it tell us about God? First is this, and we need to remember this very well. God does care about sin with His people. God does care about His people's sin. 
No doubt. I mean, in fact, in Numbers chapter 32, verse 23, God tells His people, I want you to remember, and through Moses, He says, I want you to remember that if you are not doing these things, He says, be sure, remember these words, be sure your sin will find you out. God says, you may try to hide it, you may try to rename it, you may try to put it under another file, but be sure, He says, your sin will find you out. God has called His people then and calls His people now to be a people who are different, a people who live according to the lives of righteousness, who strive to walk in obedience to His law, His Word, His teachings, His statutes, for His namesake, for His glory. No doubt we sin. This man was not just a person who had sinned. We could understand that he was living in sin, living with sin, if you will. Every moment, every night, every day, walking right over the very sin in his life, keeping it hidden. Some interesting things about this sin. Of the more than a million people that made up the camp, of the more than million people we believe made up the camp, it was one person. One. More than a million did not do it. But one did it this wasn't a sin that would hurt somebody this wasn't Achan going in there and killing someone that he wasn't supposed to kill this wasn't Achan stealing from someone who didn't have it this was people who were going to lose it anyway this wasn't something that we think of as a sin that would hurt somebody this might even be a sin that we would think would help somebody's life but it was still wrong it was still a sin it was still stealing it was a sin that seemed to have the ability to help Achan and his family, even though it was wrong. And lastly, it was hidden. Nobody knew it but God. Nobody knew it but God. The Apostle Paul says in Galatians chapter 6, verse 7, he says, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that also will he reap. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that also will he will reap. That almost seems like that is a perfect example. Perfect picture. It seems like Paul had just read the story of Joshua and the sin of Achan. That Achan had taken it and planted it, sowed it in the soil, in the sands right beneath his tent. It tells us that God cares about righteousness. This wasn't about God getting money back, guys. In fact, if we read the account in chapter 7, after Achan confesses of this, you know what they do? They take Achan, his family, all of the goods he stole, the garments, the gold, and the silver, his oxen, his tent, everything he had. Take it down to a place called the Valley of Achor. They take it down to the Valley of Achor. They stone Achan and his family, and they burn all of the goods. It appears that God was not saying, was not worried about him stealing those things from him. If I understand that correctly, it almost appears that they just destroyed those stolen or accursed things that had become accursed. Something else. I want you to, in chapter 7, you might have to turn the page. But I want you to look at chapter 8. I'm sorry, chapter 8, verse 1. 
Now the Lord said to Joshua, Do not be afraid nor be dismayed. Take all the people of war with you and arise and go up to Ai. See, I have given into your hand the king of Ai, his people, his city, and his land. Guys, those are important words. See, I have given the king of Ai and the city into your hand. Go up, Joshua, get all the army, and go and defeat the inhabitants of Ai. Do you know what is so incredibly significant about that? What is so incredibly significant about chapter 8 in comparison to chapter 7 is that God is incredibly silent in chapter 7. In chapter 7, God never says, get the army, scale it down, and go. God never says, see, I have delivered I into your hands. God never gives Joshua any direction on how or when or if to attack I. God is silent. Not saying a word. He is not directing them. He is not guiding them. He is staying His hand of blessing and favor from them during that time. It was only after, only, only after the sin had been dealt with did God's hand of favor fall once again on the Israelites? It was only after it had been confessed and dealt with. Then did God speak and give direction and guidance and protection to His people? You see, in our life, let's take this down on the micro level for just one moment. Maybe in our life we're saying, God, I don't understand. I feel like my life's going nowhere. I'm not, not seeing any spiritual advancements. I'm not, not really learning anything new. It feels like my relationship is so distant from you. Let me remind you, God promised He would never leave us or forsake us. His Holy Spirit lives and dwells in every believer and will never leave us. But I do believe that God desires righteousness, especially in the hearts and in the lives of His people. And if you and I are living in continual habitual sin, I believe that God can stay His hand of favor and can put us in such a place so that we will be there to deal with the sin. So we can walk in the blessing and in the favor of God beyond salvation. Maybe we're not dealing with that sin that's in our life and God is staying His hand of further favor and blessing on us as an individual until we're dealing with sin and seeing it as He does. I could be in the life of a church. This was a large body. Deal with sin. On the individual level, on a church level, praise God, I pray someday we will see, according to the Word, a reign of righteousness in the world. But until then, I want to live as an individual in the blessing and the favor of God. I want to be a part of a church that lives in the blessing and in the favor of the Lord. Not that we're a perfect people. We are not. Indeed. But there is a big difference in between committing sin and living in sin. We're not called to live in sin at all. Guys, sin had consequences. Sin always has consequences. The book of Proverbs says, Can a man take fire to his bosom and his clothes not be burned? Can a man walk on hot coals and his feet not be seared? The Bible reminds us that if we play with sin, we'll be burned. And notice what happened to Achan. First, Achan and his family died. You think there aren't serious consequences? His family was wiped off. It's as though God reached up to the family tree and broke that branch off. That's exactly what happened. There were serious consequences. And let me remind you, there's a good chance that his wife and his children may not have even known of what was going on. 
Our sin does not just affect us, it does affect other people. Sin does not build up, sin destroys. Sin does not give, sin takes away. That's what sin does. There are always consequences and it resulted in the loss of Achan and his family. 36 men in the army died in a battle because of one man's sin. 36 warriors died on the field of battle, were struck down because one man stole. One man out of a million took one. That's how God, that's how seriously God cares about sin. Loss of morale, the people disheartened. They feel like God has abandoned them. You know what? When you and I experience defeat in our life, when you and I are experience moral failure, you know what? It can cause confusion in other people's lives. It can cause depression or sorrow. Cause confusion for the leadership. Joshua didn't understand what was happening until God clarified it. I believe that God does take sin a lot serious, more seriously than we do. We have a tendency to want to hide it or rename it. We want to try to live with it and be as comfortable as we can. But let me remind you, whatever sin that is that we may have buried under the tent, buried under our home, buried in our life, let me remind you of this, is that if I take the word as what it says, our sin will find us out. I believe that if we are continually living in sin without dealing with that sin, without repenting of that sin, confessing that sin to God, asking Him to forgive us and to restore that relationship, renew that relationship with Christ, make it afresh once again, I believe we may be living in a very dangerous moment. For do not be deceived, 6-7 of Galatians, for God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, that he will reap. The good news is this. God does not want us as believers to repent of our continual, habitual, hidden sin. God does not want us to repent of it so we do not die, I believe. I believe God wants us to repent of it so that we can live. That's what I believe. For those of you that have never trusted Christ, if right now in your heart you don't know where you'll spend eternity, let me tell you, the Bible says, and it's true, that you have a date with God. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ and must give an account of the things done in our body, whether good or bad. Every one of us has a date with a holy God. And the only way to be able to be prepared for that date with our holy God, our Creator, is to come like Joshua did and to fall down at the mercy of God and say, God, I cannot make myself right with you. God, I do not have the ability to atone for the sins that I've committed in my life. Only the blood through the perfect sacrifice of the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ alone. And He died on the cross 2,000 years ago for us. That we could be redeemed. Purchased. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus who walk not after the flesh but after the Spirit. Today, you can literally pass from death into life. You can walk literally today in here as an enemy of God and walk out through the sacrifice of Christ being a friend of God. It is your choice. And for those of you that may be struggling with sin, or maybe not struggling, you're past struggling. You, you've decided to live with it. I pray today that what God would do is literally, literally just bring us to the place of absolute brokenness, that our ears would be open, our heart would be sensitive Maybe that God would remove any calluses that we may have on our heart and get right to the heart of the matter. 
And then we would say, God, I'm sorry. I've done things that I shouldn't have done. I've been comfortable in this sin. Be it, I mean, any kind of sin, if it's lust or emotional or, or, or lying or, or stealing or pride, whatever it is. Say, God, I know you're not happy with sin in my life and today I'm not either. And I pray that each one of us in getting our lives right with God may be able to walk out in the blessing and in the favor of Jesus Christ. Father in heaven, I thank you that your son came to die for sinners. And you came to seek and to save that which is lost. And Lord, we all have a sin account. We've all had a sin account from living in this world. We've all done things that we shouldn't have done and not done things that we should have. We've all missed your standard according to the word. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. Lord, we were all worthy of death and destruction and eternal separation, but you sent your son out of love to stand in our place. You, Lord, promised that you would forgive our sins. And in Jesus Christ, we have that forgiveness. And God, I thank you for those who have trusted your son today. I pray for those that are yet to do that, that will do that this morning. I pray for them, God. But I also pray, Lord, that sin would not reign in our mortal bodies, that we would not yield our instruments as vessels of unrighteousness, but would rather yield our vessels as instruments of God to righteousness. Lord, once it was removed, they were an unstoppable force. And I know it was a hard lesson for them to learn as it is us, but I pray that we would learn here the lesson of righteousness. I pray that you would have your way in our hearts at this response time. In Jesus.